Hey there, how's it going? This is Rob. This song is called Birdland Breakdown. It's from the John Stickley Trio CD, Maybe Believe. All of the music you hear in this episode is from that release, Maybe Believe by John Stickley Trio. Please get it. We have an interview that was recorded on the street. Literally on the street. That's right. Oh, man. And it was a beautiful spring day. It was crisp air. It was a beautiful day outside. And as I say um, in the episode briefly, sort of, I say, I say it awkwardly as I say many things, for finger watchers, the little bit of performance that we did get out of him was ideal because his fingers were like six inches away from me. Have you heard of finger watchers? They were big at Merle Watson Festival and other old school bluegrass festivals. Oh, you're asking me. I thought you were talking to our listeners. Well, yeah, you know, people up, want to be up front at shows, often at rock, you know, to see the nonverbal communication, or somewhere it's just like there's sort of a bling, sort of a rock star wannabe thing. You know, people, if they go to a lot of shows and are up front, they, they start to think they're rock stars themselves. But with bluegrass, people really like to watch the fingers. Yes. Yeah, well, especially with a guy like him. I mean, he on flat pickers too, right? I mean, is he, he's not. Would you call him a flat picker? No, uh, he different? has flat picking abilities, but that's right. not all that he does. Like La- uh, Larry, my friend Keel John, John Shane, a... who we who we start to talk about here, but you take us off in another direction. But Sorry. John Shane, much like John Stickley, is from the Chapel Hill side of Durham, and he is a flat picker. And you know, there have been times when I've been able to go around and see him night after night after night, and that is just such a joyous thing. But I'm shocked that John Shane and John Stickley don't know each other. Yeah. They should. I think probably maybe they do now after you uh, drilled it in him. Uh, but this John Stickley... No, I didn't get a chance to. Remember, you interrupted and took another uh, But you topic. talked to him after. Yeah. But this John Stickley interview is in line with the interviews we've done with Anders Beck. and um, Is in line? Yeah, in line. In terms of... For what? Like the pizza? The storyline. Oh. The storyline. Uh, uh, Benny Burl, Galloway, which we'll be putting out here really soon, um, and, and several others. There's a... The, the bluegrass, newgrass movement that we've been capturing, uh, Stickley's a big part of. And, and what's interesting to me is 
how big of a part of the scene he is and how he's kind of recently getting known by, you know, more mainstream, would you say? I think so. And I think that, you know, it, it'd be nice if the known. jazz community would take a little note of this band as well. And explain why. Because when you actually see them live, there is very much of a jazz sensibility to their approach. They're, they're definitely improvising more than I thought. So, excuse me, I'm sorry. In this interview, you see me kind of taking him to task on, on uh, improv, and I think that was dated. As he says, with this new drummer, they are definitely improvising more, and we, that was on full display at aisle five that night. Which, by the way, they shared the bill with Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Great band. I really enjoyed them as well. They will be back down here together, John Stickley, Horseshoes, Hand Grenades, with Leftover Salmon at the Pisca Brewery. I'm popping my peas. Yeah, you're popping them. The Pisca Brewery in Black Mountain, North Carolina. You guys mm. think this is easy. You try talking about the Pisca Brewery without popping a pea. Ooh, there. Oh, damn it. It's all good, Rob. And so Billy good. Strings, not only did he talk about Billy Strings, who, damn it, Seth, how soon can we have him on the show? He's coming through Atlanta in October. We have a date uh, pretty much booked. They will be together, John Stickley Trio and Billy Strings, at the River City Roots Festival in Missoula, Montana, August 25th, and at the intersection where we just were in the Grand Rapids, Michigan, November 23rd, Billy Strings hey, and John Stickley. Uh, Mark Sturr, who you met, who was uh, running, helping manage the info booth at um, Electric Force, he's been, yes. with, he's been helping me out for, Good guy. Since, since Rothbury days. And uh, so Mark, though, he does some of the booking there, and he actually booked Billy Strings in that room uh, where I think there's like two or three songs that were recorded in that room on his album, which I found to be interesting. I actually went in there, and that's a neat, neat spot, though, because those bars, there's three bars, and they're like, you know, all connected to each other. And one of them is rated one of the best bars in America, one of the top, you know, kind of like the brick store in terms, but I mean, it's nowhere near the brick store, in my opinion. But what's cool about these bars... The brick store is a cool little um, microbrew place in Decatur, Georgia, that also yeah. has an authentic Belgian uh, mm-hmm. replica of a Belgian brewery, and it's upstairs. Sorry, yeah, some of the high, some the best beers you'll ever get. A lot of people meet at the brick store, particularly music industry people. And, oh, so the, yeah, so this spot, though, there's a, three restaurants and bars, essentially, right? And they're all connected and, and owned by the same people. Uh, and you can, like, basically start your night in one and work your way to the other and just walk through. Because think about Michigan. It's cold, right? In the winter, it's just snow. So here you can start in one, have dinner, go have drinks in the other. You kind of work your way. You have three different tabs. But I don't know. It was, it was kind of an interesting vibe, kind of cool thing. My Grand Rapid, Go ahead. Were you? No, no. Go ahead. My Grand Rapids story is I saw Dylan there. I think it was 99. And Brian Setzer opened. And Brian Setzer's horns came out with Dylan for a few songs at the end. Which is very cool. You rarely get guests with Dylan. You rarely get horn section. Let me, a couple other shows I want to mention. JohnSticklyTrio.com for all the dates. But I mean, they are headed to, we got a, we've got an audience. They are headed to Oregon, Colorado, Wyoming, Ohio, Alabama, Georgia, Montana, Washington. Also called the United States. <laughs> yeah, they're Jeez. all over the grooving with the Grove in Felipe, West Virginia, September 28th. But anyways, what I was getting to, Seth. <clears throat> Is that right down here? Did you know about this thing where they have um, Halloween? They're also having a Swanee Roots Fest? Yeah, it's the old MAGFest. They changed the name a couple of years ago. They rebranded it. October 11th, Leftover Salmon Seldom Seen joined John Stickley. Wow. And also, of course, the Northwest String Summit, who has, like, everybody, right? That's July 22nd, North Plains, Oregon. Okay, Seth. And by the way, the Tractor Tavern's legendary. They're playing that in Seattle, July 24th. But this is all building to something, Seth, I promise. Because guess who they're playing with July 27th in Stanley, Idaho? Ooh. At the uh, Sawtooth Family Gathering. Uh, John Shane. No, but that'd be great. The, he is available for booking. 
And he has fantastic festivals. He's available in duo format, trio, quartet. Um, fruition. And speaking of fruition. Osiris. Hi, this is Mimi with Fruition. And the podcast you're listening to is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. They'll be doing many live events this summer around the country, which will include artist interviews, contests, and more. Sign up for the newsletter at OsirisPod.com to stay in the loop. Osiris. That's right. That Mimi, we got to talk to Mimi at um, Electric Forest. Very forthcoming, very cool. And we'll, we'll talk about our experience. We'll give you guys a whole little quick recap at the uh, outro of the uh, episode. After the interview, stick around. We'll talk about a little bit about our time at Electric Forest where Rob joined me. Um, I want to say I, I love people with understated charisma, and this, this Mimi is, is a, an example of that. And it's a little bit of the George in her. She was born here in Georgia but decided to move out to Oregon. And what a stupid decision, because now she's in one of the hottest bands in trad rock music. <laughs> How about it? They really, they threw down, and it, it's fun to watch EDM kids, you know, have their little oasis of instrumental music, you know, and we'll get into Electric Factory more, but I... Electric I, Factory? Excuse me, Electric <laughs> Festival. But my overriding takeaway is the, the way it bridges the EDM and jam band worlds, and it, it sheds a good light on, you know, when, no, we'll talk about the rest in the outro. That makes sense. But uh, what you do want to mention, Mr. I have all the dates of all the bands playing. What's what's the connection with Fruition and Stickley? Well, uh, the, oh, that's the festival I was telling you about. They're playing the Sawtooth. Didn't I just say it? Oh, I thought you were saving it for here. Sorry, I misunderstood Sawtooth you when we a, talked about the pre. No, but I mean, they definitely have connections. And, and as we learned in this interview, a lot of the um, uh, String Dusters... Connections come out. The uh, Green I mean, Sky. Yeah, Anders has been... Just Anders' confidence goes back to when he was very young, and I think more so even than in the Anders interview, we get a sense of that in this interview. But before we do have some other thing, the Palais Clark. Seth, could you tell the, remind the people about Palais Clark? Well, they can go back to our episodes starting from last year to this year and hear all about Polay Clark. But if they haven't done that and you're new, well, then check out Polay Clark. There's an accounting firm. It's a boutique accounting firm, and they're focusing on the online cloud accounting. Uh, they've got some crash courses for folks that are trying to break into it. Look, if you're using QuickBooks, you're doing it wrong. It's time to move over to zero. Get with Polay Clark. They've got an amazing team. There's actually a short video uh, they just put out about, the, or, uh, about their company, which uh, you can find on our Facebook which is, of course, Inside Out WTNS, and that's on Facebook.com for those of you who are young and not into Facebook. And matter of fact, what we'll do is we'll put an Instagram that will bring you to Facebook, okay? Would that work for you, Rob? That would be fantastic. That would be ideal, I would say. And a big thank you to... Josh Thane. JoshThaneProductions.com engineering the sweetness sounds that you're hearing out of Rob's voice. Harris Sully Sullivan for helping us with the social media work. Congratulations and on your new house. Yes, yes. Mazel tov. And if folks, if you want to get him gifts, he loves Umphreys McGee, and he's a huge String Cheese fan. Although he's not a huge, just all the band, he only likes Bill Nershey. He has like fantasies about Bill Nershey. It's unbelievable. And his fiance loves Green Sky Bluegrass. So, uh, Stickley... Stick around. Here we go. Let's jump into the John Stickley interview.
Well, we are sitting here in Little Five Points staring at the Sweetwater Brewery Company sign that's right on the building of Aisle 5. That's not a sign. That's an artistic mural. It's beautiful. And speaking of beautiful, we are recording at Arden's Garden, which is a porch patio uh, juice bar. And we are joined, Rob, by the virtuoso, the star of this year's Strings and Soul, Mr. Joe Stickley. Thanks for having me here. And, you know, we usually do recent things and then go in the Wayback Machine. But we're going to break format. Seth, we're getting in the Wayback Machine right away. Right away? Well, let me go ahead and press the gas. Your father showed you your first chords when you were 12 years old. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. What, what was your initial interest to guitar? Um. Ooh, man, initial interest. I think uh, my dad had one. I thought it was cool. Uh, and then um, I think it was hearing Nirvana or something like unplugged maybe smells like teen spirit that first uh those power chords you know like strummed like that on that clean guitar it was like i think it was maybe like the first time when other people heard the beatles or something like that and i was like dad i'm finally ready to learn the chords and uh a d and e i just remember sitting in like seventh grade doing the finger motions you know just moving around the different chords thinking about playing playing those chords when i got home and this is Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Durham. And a hotbed. The Triangle, though, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill is a, tr- a hotbed for music. Oh, yeah. And the, the Chapel Hill side of Durham is where, we're, where I'm from, really. Okay. I have, I have <laughs> a lot of friends up there, particularly John you Shane. You have one friend up there. No, one. I, I know a ton of people. What are you well, talking about? Not, okay. There's a difference in knowing people and being and friends. Well, you know, you had a lot of friends there once. Let's focus on the guests, Seth. Come okay, on now. Fine. I'm still ready to. Yeah. Seth had a hard time getting the, <laughs> getting the sound again. <laughs> Well, we were getting a kick out of watching them. We we uh, we would be at um, aisle five, but for some reason they're not open right now. <laughs> See, soon you'll yeah. be playing rooms where they show up on time. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I re- really thought this would be one of them, but we no. should have actually just recorded over at the Variety Plaza. Which I is asked the already; they have a gig, or else they totally would have let that's us. That's right. That's right. Well, but, it, but but you you were really into you got into Polvo and uh, Super Chunk was that was that also right away or was that more down the road uh, that was probably uh, getting into high school uh, maybe you know freshman year of high school our the guitarist in our neighborhood band was a little older so he kind of um, got hip to everything first and then uh, it all trickled down from him you know as being the main songwriter and stuff so he loved Spatula Polvo Archers of Love and then more like uh, harder stuff like Fugazi and uh, Jawbreaker, and bands tell, like that. And who was Shark Quest? They seem to have a real big influence. Man, they they were a really cool band. They they were all they were a ba- I would say a indie folk indie rock uh, kind of Chapel Hill sounding weird instrumental band. Um, but they used a, a lot more acoustic instruments. You know, they used banjo, mandolin, and acoustic guitar, and uh, yeah, that that music of that that period of the '96 through 99 Chapel Hill music scene yeah, definitely had a big big impact on me the dissonance of it and the out of tuneness of it you know but it seems like Shark Quest married your original uh, enjoyments with what you're kind of doing now yeah yeah and I, I kind of gotten started to get into acoustic stuff you know right right around that time I, I heard them so you ever yeah, met them for sure no nope. wow so let's talk about some of these you're, you're in North Carolina and um, 
you're being drawn to acoustic music, but you're taking your own angle for it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get in with with the guys in uh, Broke Mountain? Uh, let's see. So that kind of came out of um, Andy Thorne was one of was. Uh, we took from the same guitar teacher, went to the same school. We ended up playing lacrosse together, became friends. Where was and, this? Uh, this is in Durham Still. at Jordan High School. I didn't realize Thorne was from there. Yeah, yeah. I know, because I associate these musicians mm-hmm. with Colorado. Colorado sometimes. Exactly, yeah. I forget that North Carolina is such a big part of it, too. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Andy and I both grew up in Durham, and my brother and Andy, I think, were... Uh, Hang on, like the middle school lacrosse team together, and then we met through our guitar teacher, and we started. Our guitar teacher kind of paired us up as a little band, um, mandolin, guitar, and Andy was learning banjo at the time, and uh, that was when we made our first little bluegrass band. And our our, our uh, guitar teacher actually forced us to go play open mics in Chapel Hill, and dude, I had never seen anything like some of these people that were playing open mics in Chapel Hill at the time in Carboro. Um. Really, really funny, really entertaining, kind of mind blowing stuff as a you know just like high school kid who is still going to youth group like twice a week. You know, well, awesome. <laughs> you mentioned Andy, and, and Andy actually re- we reached out to him through a buddy um, and asked him you know what, if we were to ask you something, what to ask you. And the question he asked is to talk to you about dr- your days drumming with a punk rock band when you rarely wore a shirt on stage. Ooh, <laughs> smoking. He loves to bring that up. <laughs> well, Seth always brings up my toplessness. Oh. Yeah. yeah, man. Uh, so that was the band I was talking about that we were in uh, middle school and high school, our neighborhood band. It was called Strunk and White. Uh, it's kind of a play on the, the book, Strunk and White. Uh, it's like a grammar guide. Uh, and in high school, we were using that book a lot. And so it's a pun on that as strunk in white. And uh, that was the really like hard edged indie rock, Chapel Hill sounding, Fugazi sounding, uh, instrumental, weird band that we had first. That was my first band, I would say. And uh, I had a lot of energy, man. I used a lot of Stratex pads at the time and drank a lot of milk. And. Uh, I just played the hell out of the drums, man. It was so much fun, but yeah. I think it's key. I think that shirtless. there's elements of that <laughs> that are part of your uniqueness now, that you that you play this kind of jazz-flavored, um, I don't even, it's, it's, I, I hate to use these genre titles because you're so distinct, but in the interest of, you know, some sort of indexing, it is definitely some punk sensibility behind all of this that kind For of sure. is part it's of your uniqueness. Kind of parallels the the story of the Avett brothers in a lot of ways too. How those guys remember they they uh, and so the re- so I'm, where I'm going with this is I'm curious if you came from this um, traditional background and 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 maybe even Andy and the rest and kind of like you mentioned Nirvana, you're trying to push away from that and then all of it. At what point do you come back to your roots and right. come back to these you know to the to the instrument? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really cool, just the way life goes, I think it mirrors a lot of things that happen in life as you get older and then you think back of what was cool. And um, yeah, th- you know, my musical life just progressed in wherever it wanted to go. I didn't really take it seriously or think about it, doing it ever for a living or so it was always just for fun. And I just did what I wanted to do. And you were wandering, um, but you weren't lost. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. parents, were they uh, big into music? 
Um, not really. No. Uh, like my dad played a little guitar. And mom uh, Wait, so played some piano. A little but. guitar, like a what? Uh, what uh, do you call it? A um, <laughs> ukulele. Ukulele. Thank no, you. <laughs> a little bit of a full sized uh, guild. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, you know, it wasn't until so you know I was a drummer, then just became obsessed with bluegrass and flat picking Tony Rice Grisman well Andy Thorne sent you on that too right yeah yeah he gave me a couple he gave me like a Bella Fleck album and a Grisman album because his dad was into that stuff and he had seen like Sam Bush and uh, Andy wanted to be a mandolin player that he was trying to be a mandolin player like Sam Bush good luck (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah somehow I don't know I ended up with the mandolin and uh so Went down that road for a long time, traditional bluegrass, obsessed with the Stanley Brothers and wanting it to sound old and authentic. And uh, it wasn't until years later trying to write music for this trio that I started looking back um, and thinking about, hey, maybe we pull in some things from the past because it, I was having to write, write music now. And, and I, you know, I'd never written that much. So I was just going back through the catalog kind of. And uh, there's some stuff we do in the trio that's almost a, like, verbatim ripoff of Strunk and White, like my high, middle school, high school indie rock band. St- stealing from yourself, like John Fogarty. He got sued for that. <laughs> right, yeah. But um, let's see. So, so when's Crawdad PA? That's, that's Bluegrass. That started in high school, yeah. So you're, you, were you in both bands at the same time? Would you have yeah. a punk thing and the Bluegrass thing? Yes, at the same for time? a while. There, I love yeah. that. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Well, isn't that kind it, of what you have right now? Into the first couple of years of college. Yeah, right. It was like <laughs> it's all in one. Stewed it all together, yeah. But what, in Crawdad, PA, named after? Uh, Andy's nickname was Crawdad because uh, on the lacrosse team, coach would be like chewing us out. He was so abusive. It was awesome. It just cracked us up, though. Me and my brother and Andy are just like cracking up inside. And you could just see we're getting chewed out like, like he's like, you guys suck so bad. And then. You could just see it, Andy's. You could see in Andy's lacrosse glove. You could just see his fingers going like this, <laughs> like he was thinking about playing banjo. You know? <laughs> and uh, everyone said he looked like a little crawdad, you know, with little, oh, yeah, little yeah, fingers. Yeah. You know, so. think about banjo. You don't constantly get whacked on the leg either. <laughs> God, I played lacrosse. Yeah, it beats Ooh, up on your tough, legs, man. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, that was the. That's where that name of that band came from. And then, when did you go to Merlefest? Is this right around the same? Went time? to Merlefest in two. Uh, 99 saw a little Chris Teeley up there it was yeah. awesome and uh, met Vic Wooten and uh, saw Acoustic Syndicate and uh, just I miss those guys we always we they they, yeah. they circle back into our uh, podcast conversations Absolutely. often we love big, Acoustic Syndicate big daddy yes, love yes big daddy, big daddy. Uh, let's see so so let's talk a little bit about Tony Rice though because um, an, an artist like that can be inspiring and can be intimidating I mean even Garcia as we as we were just talking about was intimidated when he went and played with him yeah, um, yeah. to what extent was he an inspiration and, and to what extent do you want to you know yeah well um, you know so I started out in bluegrass kind of playing mandolin um, I, I'd say you know if I had to think about who was the biggest influence i'd probably say grisman was really the biggest influence on me um but then uh i guess it was we started the big fat gap um when in the college years of chapel hill also with andy and a bunch of other uh chapel hill guys they already had a mandolin player so that's when and they already had a lead singer rhythm guitarist and i was like well you don't have a lead guitarist yeah that that and so that was that forced you to learn how to play. That lead. was when I started really thinking about guitar, and of course, 
through Grisman, you know, thinking more about guitar now. So checked out Tony Rice. Oh, dude, that is amazing. Yeah. I'm getting shown a, a great picture right now. <laughs> um, of Grisman. So, yeah, and, and I was just like, what? wow, this the guitar playing is amazing on here. Um, and, yeah, just went down the Tony Rice road, and uh, I think he's one of these, you know, once-in-a-lifetime, one-in-a-million artists who is just has the virtuosity, the style, the uh, everything's right, you know, and as far as I'm concerned. And um, Well, the funny thing about him, Seth, uh, at, at Merlefest, they'd have these super jams at the end. You know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Where everyone throws rice? No, no, don't start. Don't start with the stupid jokes. <laughs> all right, so I'm trying to be nice. Um, when we're, um, they're, 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 you have all these, you have basically a Hall of Fame of Bluegrass on stage, and then Tony would take a solo, and they'd all have to get really quiet. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Don't, you don't do that to your band, do you? Nah, Tony never plugged in. Hmm. Um. But a lot of other guitarists couldn't get away with it. I mean, that's kind of plays into what you're saying he had the presence oh, and, yeah. and the respect that hey if he's not going to plug in everybody's going to roll even doc watson was like okay totally yep um yeah anyway he just i don't know his his playing had a huge effect on it i'd say everything i do on guitar is influenced by what he did mm-hmm. and quick real quick on the pizza tapes your favorite part of the pizza tapes. Yeah, we were talking about this. Um, Which, when, by the way, people don't know, it's David Grisman record with when Tony Rice and Jerry Garcia, the one time they actually got in the same room and played together, which was Jerry's request. Jerry was intimidated. Wow. Tony had to be dragged into it. Not that Tony didn't like Jerry, just it was indifferent. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know Tony was indifferent there. Yeah, I don't think he hated the dead. I don't think he loved it. But, I, th- I think he loves how they fueled bluegrass yeah, and acoustic yeah. music. Of, but of the course. damn fans, they just do all that weed. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know if Tony had a big problem with that. Really, <laughs> right. but, Tony uh, wasn't the cleanest egg in the sta- The pizza tapes might have been a little hazy. Cool um, <laughs> but yeah, at the very end, it's like a hidden track. Um, Tony's like, hey, Jerry, play this thing, man. You sound good on here. And uh, Tony gives Jerry the the famous, uh, the antique, you know, that uh, was Clarence White's. And it's a huge, you know, part of Tony's whole aura and history and sound. And Jerry hops on there and starts noodling around. He was probably so happy. Yeah, it takes him a second. It takes him like two seconds. And then he, it's just, you hear it. It just starts flowing, man. And Jerry, <laughs> I don't think Jerry had ever played a guitar like that. You know, that was set up for a master flat picker obsessive perfectionist mm. you know because jerry played good guitars but for, for acoustic you know those were highly specialized electric guitars it didn't i don't think his acoustic guitars were anything that you know special and i'll tell you the Takamines last or something the last five years of his life though he was so much happier playing acoustic than he was playing with the dead i think he felt more obligated to play with the dead and and like the acoustic was his escape yeah i mean i I'm just getting into how much he actually did. I mean, he did a ton. Like the Garcia Gris- Christmas stuff is amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like long albums, and there's tons of live shows out there. I mean, he did way more of the acoustic stuff than I uh, than I realized. And then there's the acoustic band with Sandy Rothman. Yep, and yep, for sure. Man. David Nelson. Mm-hmm. I always love talking about David Nelson. Oh yeah. All right, so let's talk about uh, Broke Mountain though. Let's how, how you got in. Now was that a Colorado band? Like, at, at, where did you get in with Colorado? So I guess yeah, you asked me about Broke Mountains, and that took me back to meeting Andy in middle school. Okay. Um, but so yeah, we graduated college. We had our band in college in Chapel Hill. It's called Big Fat Gap, and they're they're still going. My brother's actually the guitar player for them now. Oh. Um, and. 
come. I think Andy went on a ski trip with with to Durango to um, visit a friend who was working at the ski area there and eat hot chili peppers in the blistering sun. Uh, yeah, standing in the rain. <laughs> uh, so. On that trip, they went to Canyon Music, which is a really great music store there in Durango, and we're just picking on the instruments, and that's when they ran into Anders, Travis, and Robin Davis, and they had just started their little band. And uh, Anders is like, you know, here's Andy play, and is instantly like, Andy, my name's Anders. <laughs> Come to Colorado this summer, and I'll book us a whole summer tour of the whole state. Oh, wow. And our band will be called Broke Mountain, and it's going to be awesome. Bruh. Before the movie, bruh. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, before the movie. <laughs> Andy it was like, okay, sure, that sounds great. And he was like, John, you should come. But I had, a, uh, I had my internship for college, which was uh, State Parks Alaska, um, hmm. assistant park ranger. In Alaska? In Alaska. Oh, my God. So I was like, I can't do that. You know, it's I'm weird. going to do this. What the sidebar with you about that? I had a friend who did that. I wonder if the same year. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, 2003. Four? Yeah. 2004. Summer of 2004. No, three. It was summer of 2003. And then... You chose which? The, the internship? Or the... I, I did the internship. Good. And then... I mean, I love music, but what an opportunity. Was mm-hmm. it, it... It was 21 hours of sun, though, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And we, had, <laughs> we lived in a cabin... Uh, propane power and uh we hauled in our own water and there was an outhouse i mean it was amazing right i that, wanted to do that once and my father said i asked him if he would go with me he said no i said why i guess too much sun <laughs> we had blackout curtains in the cabin you got to i don't know i mean yeah. but that's got to really just be so weird to like it is it's weird it's hard to, it, for some people it is too much sun it's it's hard to go to sleep yeah you know it's like it's like being up on a room and, and you've been up all night and it's you know, it, yeah. But so that's the story, though. Back to the uh, to the Colorado and the conception of the band. There, that story has come through on our show a couple times now, Rob. Yeah, I call them the Pawtucket Red Sox of, of uh, the uh, Jamgrass world. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I did my internship, and during that summer, you know, I think Anders might have inflated like his abilities a little bit to pull <laughs> together a whole summer tour. So Andy was like, we just like you know didn't do anything and uh, uh so that's when rick hawkman went out uh instead of me on guitar and he was the original guitar player oh i see so if you, yeah. you would have done the tour and then rick stepped in for you yeah I, yeah if okay. i didn't have the internship i was gonna go and God, do it, i see but, uh, i didn't realize that's where hawkman so came. rick went and did it and then at they didn't do a whole lot that summer, but then at the very end, they went to, or, uh, or towards the end, went to Rocky Grass and won the Rocky Grass band competition. Right. Damn. And, man, back, I think it still is, but back then, if you won the Rocky Grass band competition, you could do a whole summer in Colorado the, the following year. Because they, you know, it's like, man, you won that, you're good. You'll, Maybe you Anders knew he was going to win that. They'll book you at the festivals. And uh, so that's when... The, su- the second summer came around, I became available, and uh, we did a switch, uh, a pretty controversial, you know, uh, Andy said, bad. look, Rick, man, like, I'm going to bring Stickley. And uh, I think it was it was pretty sad, because we're all, like, really good friends with Rick, you know, and Rick's the man. So what happens and, now uh, if you guys go ahead and do a, uh, if there was a reunion, would you guys just 
both do it? Well, yeah, when you get in the Hall of Fame, who who shows up? Well, like us, <laughs> you know, when Rick was in the band, they they didn't do that much. You know, they they had that one big win, and then of course I got to like reap all the benefits of it. So it's sure. like kind of messed up. But that's, like, that's my that's my wife's big problem. But, <laughs> yeah, so you know, I went I went out the next summer and we played everywhere, and yeah. everyone got to know that first Broke Mountain. You know, pretty much when I was in the band, you know, we did all these festivals out there and played Telluride Band Contest too, and. Um, it was the best summer of my life, man, I would yeah. say. Now, there really should be a reunion at, I think, Strings and Soul. Like, that should be a book reunion next year. That's, I mean, it's just pretty much you guys almost have a reunion. Kind of, I mean, did you guys ever play any of the, the, those tunes there outside yeah, of Sunrise? Yeah, we, we did a little on one. The beach. <laughs> we did a little one on the beach with Paul as a stand-in, which yeah. we've done before. We actually did it at Telluride once with Paul. Um but yeah, no, I, I agree. I'd love to do a reunion. We we've no, talked no, about no, doing all sorts of stuff, like a, an album with a tour, and you know maybe someday, or mm-hmm. at least a four night run in Colorado, or where we just play a set of Camp Greensky. Hey man, you know you know I'm down with all this stuff. Matty Beck's for, listening, you know, so Matt, Matt, yeah, anybody listening out uh, there, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> just don't do it at Strings and Soul until they start inviting me. You're never okay. going to be invited. Keep after, it in the states. <laughs> after what you did, Rob, you'll never be invited to a Cloud Nine event don't again. Don't forget about that. Hang on a second. Let me call Waffle here. Shut up, you. <laughs> did you. Did you meet Lindsay around this time? Your fiddle player, your violinist. Uh, that was quite a bit later, I'd say. So okay, yeah, then. yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to get from Broke Mountain to the to when you decide to become your own frontman. Now, how, how many years are we? What, what's in between uh, there? There's quite a bit. There's quite a bit. Um, so. We did the Broke Mountain the first year, and then we did Broke Mountain one more year, which is 05 summer. Um, and But after 04, Andy left and got the um, started playing with Larry Keel. And, like, you know, still, Broke Mountain... Broke Mountain's bigger now than we were then. You know, Broke Mountain <laughs> was just it? fun. It was just a thing we were doing in the summer. No one, like, cared... I mean, no one was, like... Broke Mountain's gonna get huge. Maybe Anders, but um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we won't so, be broke after we get so to the top of the mountain. Andy's like, dude, I got this offer to go play with Larry Keel. We idolized Larry Keel at the time, idolized, and so I was like, dude, you got to do that, of course. And so he went and did that, and uh, then right after that, Travis. Oh, so we did 05 summer without Andy. We had a guy named Chad who's really cool, um, Tennessee dude. And uh, then after that, during that summer, Travis got the offer to join the newly formed Nashville String Dusters, I think is what they were called at the time. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they went through a couple of little names there at the beginning. Um, and that was another thing. I was like, you got to do that, you know, for sure. That's going to be sweet. And uh, you're going to win Grammys and stuff. You're going to be huge. <laughs> and uh, so he did that. And then I got a, an offer to go join the Biscuit Burners, which was a band uh-huh. um, based out name. of Asheville. Yeah. That was in 2006. So was, Wait, I, I've seen the Biscuit Burners. I played mandolin with them uh, during the, the basically just the year of 2006. Okay. Um, yeah, we toured. We played all around uh, Sp- Springfest and uh, out west, and it was awesome. And uh, then kind of, I actually ended up getting fired from that band. Um, Tell us the how. Uh, too punky? Uh, <laughs> yeah, too didn't, punky. Didn't wear a shirt? <laughs> what happened? <No>. Yeah, keep- <laughs> hey, there's Taylor. Taylor! Oh, sh- 
<laughs> Dude, my friend Taylor Martin's over there. Um, You're not getting out of the story. How'd you get fired? <laughs> yeah, we got to know. Uh, well, you know, there was some like we don't know. We're asking in, uh, some <laughs> discontent, you know, in um, in the band. Okay, they'd been a band for four years. I came in. I think they thought like my positive energy might help. So they were burnt out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it, it was like breaking up already. I think when I got there, and so biscuits had been in the oven too long. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's you know, and I, you know, I'm just like man. It was. A, I'd never been involved in anything that was like breaking up like that. You know, I, I'd only done fun things, and uh, so it kind of just fizzled apart. Basically, during the year I was there, and they moved on without me and the lead singer Shannon and Shannon Shannon Whitworth went on and to do a lot and she's still I know that name as well busy but I'm just curious are, are experiences like that some of the elements of you ultimately deciding to front your own band um no you know like everything it was just more more random I would say than that you know uh so let go from there, and then I actually ended up um, playing with Shannon Whitworth like full time for about three years. Then quit that and um, played bass with a band called Town Mountain for a couple years. A lot of mountains. So just kind of doing a lot of gigs, you know. Um, and then Town Mountain, they're all my best friends. That's why I was only supposed to do it for a year as kind of a fill in for them, but. Then I was having such a good time. I was like, please, I want to do this another year. And I uh, did it. And then after that year, their lead singer, Robert, he was like, hey, man, you got to go play your guitar. You know, because I was <laughs> always playing my guitar a little bit during the shows and um, jamming guitar. And like, he was just like, don't do this anymore, man. I was like, okay, all right, I'll go play my guitar. So then I'm like, where can I go play my guitar? No one needed a guitar player. And that's when I started the band. <laughs> John Stickley Trio. That's great. Had had you met Lindsay yet, or was it initially without? Uh, it was in. I met her like right at that time, you know, right when I had started booking a couple brewery shows around Asheville, and um, we met through a mutual friend, Billy Gilmore, who now leads uh, Grass Is Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, absolutely. So he was in Asheville for a while, and he knew Lindsay from Florida. And he hired us both on the same gig, and that's when I met Lindsay. I'm like, who is that? How do I not know her? She's what part of Florida? Jacksonville. Okay, okay. And uh, that that was that, and I was like, well, I've got a couple gigs I've booked around town, and I'm gonna call her first. Mm-hmm. And I did, and then uh, so compositionally, she was part of your lexicon right from the start. Yeah, yeah. As far as the the John Stickley sound, because there's know, this quote that I that I read about her. Go ahead, Rob. It was kind of uh, about how writing about her was, quote, kind of like designing an obstacle course for her because she was so agile. Now, we're not even sure if that's attributed to you, but you would call it accurate? Yes, I would call it accurate. Inspiring in some ways? Make you want to write? Because she's so agile? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Writing with her in mind is really fun. Um, And usually I do it, I've kind of come to do it with like uh, just make what she might do just write a little part of what I might hear her do at this time you know and then say hey reinterpret it completely throw it away and write your own thing do whatever you want but this is just a little melody I was thinking might sound cool over this part of the song with the chords and rhythm and stuff 
So I use my mandolin to make like little simple ideas. Then mm-hmm. she fleshes them out, redoes them, you know. And they evolve over time on stage. Quite a bit, yeah. Excellent. And then can you talk about play people? Was that was that around then or is that a little later? That was uh that that's on our most recent album, maybe maybe Okay, believe. let's hold off on that one. Yeah. What were some of the first songs from the first uh so yeah, we were we did a lot of um uh reworked fiddle tunes, Blackberry Blossom, which is also on the new album. Crazy Creek. Um p- tried to pick kind of weird atypical tunes that weren't uh, overplayed and uh, Good then, move. then a couple original tunes that I had kind of come up with that were on my first solo album an album called Lions um, and yeah we just worked up some versions of those our original band was with a bass player so it was more of an acoustic uh, trio with vocals and stuff and um, yeah and then you so got the early the- stuff was yeah kind of you say the early stuff is more tame? Yeah, yeah, a little more like normal sounding. So like what happens when someone like one of the some of the elders, so to say, you know, the uh the uh the the wave of musicians before you and they hear you then and then they bring you they invite you back now and it's like and it's the circus you bring. How do, what's the reaction? Uh <laughs> we've we get pretty good responses actually. Yeah. Um I think I think people are kind of surprised when they hear it. You mm-hmm. know, it's not it's not what most people expect or had expected. You know, they look um, at they look at the guitar and they're like ready to they're ready for something traditional. And then, yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, but the, but there's so many elements of it that are straight out of a of a traditional bluegrass concert. You know, there's moments in there where we're doing a really really traditional thing mm-hmm. for a minute. And that's the current wave. That's kind of what's happening. We, I mean, look at the dusters for that. The infamous string dusters is a great example of how, you know, they play they play the traditional rooms, and well, you you can you talk more about that. But how? Sure. But the, the, what I like about you is that the the only other trad bluegrass artist I've heard that reminded me at points of Pat Metheny was the Flectones. Hmm, There's there got to be some Flectones in your lexicon. I mean, just uh, the, they're one of our biggest influences for sure. I, Lindsay. Uh, I, she might quote them as her biggest influence, and uh, she actually was in Future Man's band for a few years, the Black Mozart Ensemble. And they went to India and everything. So, <laughs> yeah, cool. huge, huge impact. Did she play with that kid Williams, the drummer who was like fourteen that Future Man had found? That I, no. I don't know about that. Oh, well, anyways, but you you guys bonded over stuff like Aphex yes. Twin, but also like swing and Django, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, swing, bluegrass, fiddle tunes. Flectones, Grisman music, Grisman tunes. Um, yeah, just, and you know, just picking, really. It's like we, like, we like to sit around and play tune after tune after tune. I don't care, like, how many times we played these songs. It's like playing fiddle tunes at festivals. And you should make an album. We're not picky. We're just picking. Yeah. <laughs> but who are Aphex Twin, and what is it about them that, that you're drawn to? Um, so kind of got led to them through, uh, well, this gets us, like, to the Dave King discussion of the bad know, plus bad plus yeah <laughs> who was your previous drummer's favorite drummer and then he got to work with them right right and they had covered some Aphex Twin one of their biggest t- tunes is like their version of Flim uh, Aphex Tune Twin Artist and uh, then uh, two drummers ago was 
our, actually our first kind of long-term drummer, Ryan Oslins, was also really into electronic music and it introduced me to the Bad Plus and a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, dude, it's beautiful melodies, you know, it, there's, there's beautiful melodies can be wrapped up in all sorts of different packages and mm-hmm. man, Aphex does does that you know and it's like uh but then it's got complex rhythms and everything it's like i'd say there's a lot of influence um they influenced our music quite a bit you know where we're trying to do like a compelling rhythm that's really weird and kind of out there and but makes you want to groove over maybe something that's like a little more beautiful lullaby you know kind of melody over the top so when you're opening for someone like Ricky Skaggs, can you do that kind of stuff, or do you, you yeah, feel like you, you pull back on the, on the more traditional? Yeah, my, my favorite quote from that night was, I don't know what that was, <laughs> but I liked it. <laughs> so it only happened once, the Ricky Skaggs <laughs> thing? Yeah. yeah I'll yeah. bet Bela gets a lot of that, too. You know I what I mean? I don't know what it was, but I liked it. I mean, that's got to be the highest kind of praise you can get. It was amazing, dude. It was like, that was a cool night. Because, uh, yeah, we did it at the Carolina Theater in Greensboro. <laughs> and, you know, we were looking forward to this and kind of just uh, anxious about it a little bit. You know, I mean, it's like, who comes to see Ricky Skaggs? It's like, especially in the central North Carolina. I mean, it's going to be an old crowd. <laughs> right. Dude. I'm like a young buck at a Ricky Skaggs show. <laughs> And, uh, but you know, it's like with everything we've ever done, we just get a good response because we're, we're not, you know, we're like, you know, I guess at times we're trying to be something special and cool, but for the most part, we're just trying to play music and have fun and jam, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's, we're just doing what we want and what we enjoy. Now, Rob, I will say we're sitting here and he has his guitar. He's just been leaning on the whole time. Yeah. You want to play something before we continue? Uh, Sure. Is yeah, right. I can I can actually get it up real high. Uh, yeah, all right. John Stickley, Little Five Points, Atlanta. <laughs> What's that called? That's a little improv uh, between a tune uh, called Blackburn Brothers that we play a lot. It's a lead track uh, of one of your albums, right? Yeah, I wrote that with my brother, and it's uh, the first track on our EP, tri- uh, Triangular. 
It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And then a little bit of that harmonic stuff, uh, which we do a lot of, you know, kind of uh, the more sensitive, soft-sounding stuff that we do. Were the Blackburn Brothers an actual... The Blackburn Brothers are a uh, seafood... It's a, it's a place to get really, like, fresh seafood down in Carolina Beach. It's okay. called Black, Blackburn Brothers Seafood. And uh, my brother and I were actually cooking some of it uh, when we were noodling around. And he had, he had come up with the main lick of that song. And uh, I, I kind of wrote, like, the second lick that makes up the melody. It's weird. And, you started uh, talking about that food. And <laughs> is that your stomach that's going right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Rob's stomach. Sorry. It's steady, too. <laughs> hey, a shout-out to these people called finger watchers, uh-huh. especially at Merle Watson and stuff like that, people who like to get up front and just watch fingers. His fingers are about six inches away from my face. Awesome. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, also, you tend to nail things on the first take. You're known for that. Is that accurate? Um. We, we try to. Uh, it's well, been, everybody it's, tries it's to. It's been done. Um, <laughs> so are you talking about music or his relationship? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, definitely not. Not the first try on that You one. do that. Oh, yeah, that's uh, not me. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, what we found uh, uh, just through trial and error is that more often than not, the, the first take is the best take. You know, like. Fresh energy. Yeah, man. It's it's almost uh, every single time. Like we will we'll try to we'll do four takes and like okay that we finally got it on the fourth one. Go back and listen to the first one and like oh my god that's definitely it. That's so much better. You know. <laughs> well, you know that's weird. No, that's not weird. That's good. No, I'm saying stay on the mic, Seth. Oh. The key <laughs> is to uh, don't write music that's too hard that you can't do it on the first take. But let's talk about writing music because you guys. Um, are the opposite of the string dusters. You tend to road test your material and then record it. Uh, the opposite of that is to hold the material and and then have your uh, live act infused by all these new songs. But I want to pair that with your interest in doing a writing retreat, which I you still haven't yet been able to do. No, and I, and I need to do one. I'm ready. And then I, that I'm, would I'm be sh- the, the time where you would hold the material, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm in the process of uh, trying to write as much new material as possible right now and it's 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 really uh it ain't right it's tough man you know it's like you got to work to to you got to put yourself in a position where you can open up your head enough to access the things that are going on man it's like really it's really crazy well arlo guthrie says it's like fishing you just got to have your pole in the water yeah but 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 there's a difference but he also says oh go ahead you just don't want to be downstream from bob dylan Go ahead, Seth. Sorry. No, I, mean, I always I, like to get that one in. Yeah, our That's listeners one. heard that one yeah. 20 times from you, but that's <laughs> Is okay. that right? Yeah, 20 times? Yeah, you know. you usually cut off the second part. I want to I go back to you. So do you feel an additional pressure of your position now? You know, all these musicians like Andy Thorne and all these ones we just mentioned, you know, there's a, and I, I say that, I, I say it again, this wave of this, you know, of this music, right? This scene, there's a whole other wave, and 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 you have this chance to like really make a, make a statement and make a point and be, and all these musicians who are leading the genre, talk about you as the next thing. Yes, yes. So so when so not exactly. just the fans, no, no, the musicians, musicians, exactly. That's one of the reasons why we want to interview you is because of that. And so and also to, the records are fucking awesome. So do you feel when when you're working now on on material? Do you feel that at pressure? And if not, will you now? No kidding. <laughs> Do we need to take the load off of Annie? <laughs> uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I do feel pressure. I feel pressure. But um, a nice kind of pressure. Yeah, yeah, a nice kind of pressure. Just a pressure to, you know, the, I really want to... Uh, one of the things that is, yeah, when people start paying attention to you, you have to do a little bit better job. You know, it's like we've been... You know, no one's posting pictures of our set lists. Well, they they do now. So so it's like, oh wow, that set list looks exactly like the, the last ten <laughs> right. or twelve or yeah. twenty or thirty. It's like, if people are posting your set list, the set list sh- probably shouldn't look the same every time. So right, right. you know, and now somebody tell Paul are, McCartney that. And then you get people coming on like you know, hey, they're going to come on a run of shows and see you all four nights of this little run. So and at least one of those nights you'll do it good. <laughs> right. <laughs> really yeah, song you can't you can't do the exact same thing every night. It's got to be a different experience, you know, and mm-hmm. and the bands that we look to String Dusters, Green Sky, these guys are working their asses off on the road to get new material together to play that's that's fresh for these fans night after night who go on the whole tour. Yeah. You know, and so we're you know, there's I feel a little pressure there to to just you know man we really wanted people to come to our shows now finally people actually are coming to the shows um and you gotta you know you gotta do things that are interesting to 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 see and experience and (laughs) and on that note on this tour you're with horseshoe and hand grenades and hand grenades right yeah is it is how how's how is your tour pairing going who's um How's that come to play? Yeah, you're doing collaborative encores, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the first. Uh, last night was the first night, and it was awesome. Um, I've sat in with them a lot at festivals and stuff. Um, so we've we've played together quite a bit, and I, I really love what they got going on. I mean, it's high energy, it's raw, it's raucous, and it it's a nice contrast to what we do you mm-hmm. know it's like we followed them last night and i was kind of like man those guys burn it down man i'm kind of like we're gonna go up and do this nerdy shit after that <laughs> and uh but it, it you know it was just like a good contrast the crowd dug it and uh tonight we flip-flopped it so we're opening up tonight and they'll close it down and then we'll join them for the jam but uh you know it's like like i said earlier man we just like playing music with people you know the trio is what it is because of who we are and it's it's all weird and it's kind of experimental but you know, man, we like sitting around the campfire and playing tunes. So uh, jamming with a band like that is just a blast. But one last thing on the set list thing, because I interviewed Derek Trucks once. Once, and once. I, I know. <laughs> we gotta get him again. Get me Derek. Get me O'Teal. Uh, I, I talked to his manager yesterday, and Blake said, "Yeah, absolutely, Seth. Derek would love to sit down with you." But Rob, it sounds like he has that backwards. But anyways, what I asked him at the time, he had Derek Trucks band, and they would mix up their set list night to night. And he was also in the Almond Brothers band at at that time. The Almonds were doing very similar set lists, uh-huh. and he said to him that they're just different challenges. That with the Almonds, the challenge was to make it different every time. And I think that would apply to you because you guys do so much improv. You don't do ensemble off the charts improv, but you definitely improvise within the structures of your songs, right? So even if someone saw Joe Stickley Band two nights in a row and it's the same set list, they might be getting some different t- flavors. Oh, of course. I mean, we've never played the same show. You know what I'm saying? It's always different. Uh, we, we improvise and experiment within the form quite a bit. Um, but you know, just, uh, some new tunes to freshen it up a bit is always good. But, uh, yeah, we, that's, you know, that's one fun thing about the band is we can, we can get weird and experiment as much as we want with these songs to keep them fresh. 
Um, let's see. Also, we have uh, Hunter Deacon now in the band. Yes. And he... Just... <laughs> Break in was he did a six month residency playing seven nights a week in a chi- <laughs> Chinese jazz club. Yeah, yeah, this guy's the man. He like, uh, you know, we we found him through a mutual friend, and uh, I just yeah, I, I was like looking for you know looking for a new drummer, you know, and it was I've never done that before. I didn't know where to start, so I was like, well, you well, start with the sticks. <laughs> yeah, stickly. I got the sticks. stick with me. Yeah, drumsticks. And uh, but eventually, I kind of set my sights on on Knoxville because uh, I knew. I get I, it. I, I like get it. Like they've got like a Knoxville thing going on with the sticks. Uh, it's like a rhythm town. Man. They also I, have a the, lot of good drummers over the there. Big Ears Festival. Yeah, which Did I you know think has. Go ahead, Rob. I think that's fueled that town. I think there's a lot of great music spinning off of that. Yes, and also the band the Sticks are from there. UT Jazz programs there too. Oh, okay. Um, Actually, yeah, they would be yeah. they would be a good fit for uh, big ears, wouldn't they, Rob? Oh, we'd love to do that, man. I, that's a cool lineup every year. It's a tough one to get into. That's what I've heard. Because it's a pet project. It's not, right. They don't care about making money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they should have us then. Perfect for that. <laughs> I don't know. You're starting to happen. Um. So, anyway, yeah, Hunter Deacon. We call yes. him ja- Jazz Chops. Right. No, Jam Chops. Jam chops. Yeah, but I mean, like, seven nights a week. Yeah, yeah. How old was he then? He was like, this was like last year, I think. So he was maybe 30, newlywed. Hmm. He's like, he got the opportunity. He said, uh, it, this was when I was asking him if his wife was going to be okay with him going on the road with us so much. And he was I like, know, I don't know. he talks real slow. He's all like, well, let's just say went right after we got married, I said, is it okay to go to China for six months and play jazz seven nights a week? And she said, can I use your computer for Skype? (laughs) (laughs) And that was his response to whether or not it was going to be okay with her if he joined the band and went touring all over the place with us. I love this woman already. Don't even know her name. She's very cool. Yeah, that's a... That's an element that... I mean, (laughs) anyone that marries a musician has got to be prepared for that and be open to it. Having a drummer like that, does that embolden you to maybe someday go off the map once in a while? Completely off the map. Ensemble, improvisation, okay, improvise okay. in form as well as. I know that's not your thing. Oh, we, we already do that. Yeah, we know that's. He's, Is, but that's new with Hunter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've opened up completely in many, many new directions. Um, which is, which is really exactly what we were looking for. Um, a lot of freedom in the show. Uh, we've added a lot more solo sections, you know, where it's like, I'll just be playing guitar by myself for as long as I want until I play this one lick, and that's when they all come back in. And he does, we do the same thing with him. I mean, he, he can explore the space on his kit in a way that I, I haven't heard a lot of people do it. I mean, it... He's he's done solo drum performances where it's just hmm. him and the kit for like an hour. Wow. And people Are like it. Yeah. <laughs> you That's know? fair. Well, listen, Fred, so, we yeah. really enjoy your time. <laughs> and uh, Carl here. Oh, wait, no, sorry, Rob. Yeah, I'm fucked up. Yeah, you are. 
Listen, Sorry. Rob. Let's do. Uh, you got two more questions? I've got a ton more. Can we can we get back to the songwriting thing? Because when you have a drummer like that and you're improvising more, are you going to go back and listen to the improvisation and maybe get some songwriting ideas out of things that you created in the moment? Yes. Have you already done that? Yes. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, that's that's a that's a thing I've been working on too. Is like uh, you know remembering consciously remembering things that happened during the show that you like that you want to recreate. How do you do that? It's really hard because you get off stage and uh, I mean put a you know phone yeah, message or something. Yeah, you have to do it right away. Or, or it's like a dream in the morning. Think about it later. Yeah, because like you know, I don't remember sets. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't go back and nitpick what happened except for maybe here and there. But for the most part, it's like mm-hmm. I can't even tell you what songs we just played. You know, it's right, so, so recording your songs, there. your shows. You, um, yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't really, we we need to, we sh- we should. You know, if you did, would you listen to it on the bus or in the van the next day or just kind of go back and like... <sighs> Man, I hate listening. I hate listening back. <laughs> but but I understand how valuable it is for improvement, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we never listen to ourselves in the van. It's hard to even listen to the albums. It's really... No, I get it. Uh, I, can, I can't listen to myself I after this, but it. Rob, poor Rob has to hear me make, <laughs> not, he has to hear his mistakes and then he has to hear me yeah. oh, talk I had to, over I had to him. put together an anniversary show. Oh my god! <laughs> have we? I mean, have we? Have we touched on all the 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 juicy subjects? I mean, is this a? Has this been interesting? Or are the people going? You know, you know the. Well, crowd, if you I find mean. it interesting, email us at insideoutwtns <laughs> at gmail dot com. Well, you're and a fan John of John. Like, will send you an the, autographed guitar. <laughs> it's a toy guitar. My son's guitar. So I, do I need to talk to some more shit about Anders now? Or yeah, hell yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> well, he's Anders is going to be doing Anders and Burl are going to be doing our Inside Out WTNS live at the dude. City we haunted. even talked about Benny Burl. Oh, dude, let's talk about Burl. Benny Burl. Still, where did you first meet him? Uh, I met him uh, when I went out to join Broke Mountain in 2004. And Rob, Colorado. What do you call him? He's the Colorado Colonel. Oh yeah, for sure, Colonel man. Bruce of Colorado. Yep, yep. And he had, you know, he was fresh off of teaching yonder mountain how to be good and write songs and they did and they blew up and they were huge rock stars when we yonder you might want to give a call again (laughs) ouch you're a fan of electronic music though would you ever point would would you ever merge this with electronic music uh sure yeah of course man definitely (laughs) yeah go ahead right now And you work with a lot of guest bassists? Yes. Oh, oh, that's another thing uh, that is cool about the band. We don't have a bass. So right. we, we do all this stuff to create bass in the show, but mm-hmm. um, we're like the one band that bass players can sit in with. You know, they love it, dude. We have all bass players up all the time. I want to go back for a second. You uh, you, you said electronic, right? So mm-hmm. what would you rather do? Like do it like a project for, uh, with like, uh, with like uh, Skrillex or something like that? Or... Have like a DJ Logic sitting with you, dude. That's really cool. Uh, Skrillex is something else. I like Skrillex. Yeah, I've ripped off some Skrillex stuff for sure. It's I'm not even a big electronic guy, but it's that yeah, Skrillex stuff is really I like good. that stuff. Uh, you know what? You know what I would really like the most what? Um, would be a DJ to remix mm. one of our albums. I like that. Like maybe our most recent album. What happened to DJ Harry? That would have been a good one to do that. He used to do that with String Cheese, remember? No. Yeah, a guy named DJ Harry. Remember DJ yeah, Harry? Yeah, I've forgotten about him. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would. Th- I think I would really like. And then maybe we take that project, reincorporate some elements of that into the live show. 
Mm-hmm. I think that would probably be a cool way to do it. I like it. Sounding very jam cruisy yeah. now. Also, keys is, a, is another thing we'd love to like collab with. I, I think I think keys on stage with us could be car keys, house keys. Huge. No, Seth. Seth, no. Yeah. <laughs> keys, man. Keys. Please, <laughs> please. Would you be wooed? I'm like, let's say if someone aggressively came up to you and wanted to join the band and was Rob, really you cannot join the band and was really talented at what they do, would they be more likely to have a chance if they're a bassist or a keyboardist? Wait, say Pro- that again? Ooh, yeah. Pro- probably keys. Yeah. Just curious. Maybe bass, though. Well, the thing know. about keys is that you have bass with keys, especially if you have, like, an right. organ player. That's, that's good that's point. Good point. That, that's, yep. So kind of mm. like, you know, mm. double whammy. Ever play with a Hammond B3? Uh, not you play, but, like, your project with a Hammond B3. No, we have not. That'd be sweet, too. All right, a couple more things, because we got to let you go. Um... A big part of your style is pentatonic melodies created off of natural harmonics. Can you explain that to people who don't play guitar? Yeah. Do you want to explain it and then maybe demonstrate it? Sure. Yeah. That's Can you a, do that? Yep, of course. Um, basically, the guitar has uh, natural harmonics that occur all over the neck, but the, some of the loudest ones are at the 5th fret, the 7th fret, and the 12th fret. So on the low E string, I'll do the 5th. Seventh and twelfth here, like a that's a fifth fret where you just kind of it's kind of what you were doing before. Yeah, the other I was song, doing yeah. it before. You you just kind of loosely, lightly rest your finger right above the fret on the fifth fret. It's very difficult to do and do a stroke like that. And then it's the seventh is that, and then the twelfth is this. And so you can do that across all the strings. weird uh, (laughs) position right now but uh so you've got those like notes that ring out and it's it's a pentatonic thing because it's it's a series of five notes that repeat um and uh it sounds kind of kind of chinese yes exactly what i was thinking um but you know like a lot of coltrane's melodies were just kind of like a simple pentatonic riff kind of reharmonized so Mm. um I like to mess around with those natural ringing harmonics because they can be played pretty loud. Like on acoustic guitar, that matters. Like, God, that sounds terrible. Sorry. Um, he really see, is at an awkward angle, people. Yeah, he's really going to bat <laughs> for us the right listeners here. Like, uh, I'm not going to see him now. Forget this that. Is, this yeah. is very kind. Of you. A lot of guitars would not do this. This is very kind of you. I'm holding it up to the mic. Uh, oh, here, I'll hold the mic to you. Um, okay. Well, no, now, now I don't have an excuse. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So anyway, you can uh, you've got all those notes to play with, and you can make some cool melodies there, and then you just kind of uh, put some different bass notes around it, and it can be kind of reharmonized. Um, yeah. Well, another thing that you can't demonstrate, and I'm not a big gear guy. I kind of get sleepy when people talk about gear. Yeah. But but you and Lindsay have an, 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 a thing, an octave thing that you use that you've incorporated recently, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we use a POG poly-octave generator uh, pedal that's made by Electroharmonics. And uh, it just turns your instrument. You can take it down a couple octaves. Mm, like it's another way to help to make up for not having a bassist, right? Yeah, yeah. So I can make my guitar sound like a bass. Lindsay can make her fiddle sound like a bass, which blows everybody's mind. You should hear the sound man every single night. Like, <laughs> they're like, wouldn't expect in that. You know, like <laughs> almost every night. 
<laughs> and uh, but it's crazy sound. I mean, to like look at her just plucking the violin with her thumb and hearing the sound that's coming out of that, like it's insane. It's like the fattest bass ever. It, it's it's way fatter and bigger than mine, I think, because it's got this like plunky percussiveness to it that when you drop it down that low it's just like epic um but you know it, yeah so that's just something that we kind of did naturally to compensate for not having the bass um and it you know became a huge part of our sound instantly mm-hmm. and how do you feel about the aspect um of the range of gigs that you play from house concerts to strings and soul to these festivals to a club like tonight to listening rooms like did you play work play last night was that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a gorgeous cool. listening theater. Now tonight you're in more of a rock club where the mm-hmm. guy doesn't even show up on time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that informs you as a player and and will help you moving forward, or is it more of, a, of an annoyance? Uh, no, I think it it helps. Um, man, for the most part, it, it kind of keeps things fresh for us. We get to. Because, you know, you do a different show in the different settings. Mm-hmm. We we tailor our shows to wherever we're at. And uh, getting to do different types of shows all the time is really fun for us. Um, it, it's, you know, one of our favorite sets of the year. We've done it the past three years is the the 3 a.m. set at Spirit Lake Stage at Halloween. Oh, yeah. Swanee Halloween. We love Swanee, everything. That's like our favorite place in the world. But the Halloween thing is insane. And that late night set, that 3 a.m. to like 4.30 set is just like there's nothing like it, man. That crowd at that time of night, dude, after they've they've been hearing like Sound Tribe and everything, you know. And we go up there and just play. And it's like, man, if they're still up at that time and they're standing out there, they are ready to like experience this show. And it's fucking beautiful, man. So cool. But then, you know, we do a house concert completely unplugged to 20 people that are just sitting there silently, you know, and it's uh, it's, that's just as beautiful, man. Really, really cool. Well, we haven't talked enough about Benny Burl and Anders. Any, any more Anders or Benny Burl stories that you'd share? Yeah, so Burl, you know, he did the same thing kind of to Broke Mountain that he did to... I don't know if he did to Yonder, but, you know, he was friends with Yonder when they were first getting going. Taught him about about songwriting and uh, kind of mentored him, you know, and and he did that to us in Broke Mountain. He hung out with us. We went fishing with him. He cooked food for us. And he's a good cook, huh? He, Oh, dude, yeah. Yeah, he's a great cook. And just a, you know, he's like a father figure guy. I mean, he's like immortal, man. Yeah. You know, it's really amazing. Almost a shaman in ways. Yeah, yeah. He's like a hunter, you know, and I don't know. Totally, uh, just one of those individuals you're lucky to get to meet in your life. And um, But, like, what's an elusive thing that you learned from him that you can trace back to him that you haven't really heard since or that really sticks with you? Oh, man. I'm sure there's a lot. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but he's part of our live event coming up. Yeah, I would just say... We're really excited to have him. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. He's just one of these... He... He... there's nothing it's not specific it's just of him in general man he's one of these people that you look at and he's so inspiring that he makes you stronger just by being around him like he you know last time I was in Atlanta he had just done a a huge replumbing of you know his partner's apartment and you know he used copper because you know the peck stuff is total you know bullshit Mm -hmm. and 
he just, I don't know, man. He's just amazing. He was a butcher for a long time. I mean, who does that? Yeah. <laughs> so and, and the songs that he writes too, they're so deep and so like meaningful and from the heart. And it's like, I don't know what he's tapped into, man, but it's amazing. Well, he's got a place out in uh, Marietta. It's called the Hunt, Hunt House. House. Heard and, a lot about um, it. We're talking about maybe doing a WTNS series, uh, podcast series there where uh, a, a Sunday bluegrass, bluegrass brunch. brunch, the Bennett Burl. The Burl Bluegrass Brunch. Mm-hmm. And something like if you were playing on a Saturday night, you stick around on a Sunday and we uh, head out over there and do something in the afternoon, something with the kids, you know, the whole deal. Uh, so hopefully that does happen. And even if it, even if you don't, if you're not in town on a Saturday and you're passing through or willing to come come through, I think we can do something really cool. Because, but, but with Burl being here in, in the Atlanta area, it's it's – it's a treasure. It's beautiful. And whether or not we're involved, you absolutely should play that room. We'd love to be involved, yeah. but yeah. it's a cool spot. Cool yeah, spot. And you, you could do an indoor thing and then an outdoor thing. And yeah, I've talked talked to him a lot about it. And, uh, yeah, he, he was like, bring the trio or just come come on down and, you know, play. Or, you know, you can do whatever. You like, do whatever you want. You bring whoever. I'm Don't like, even play. Okay, just come cool. eat. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, I'm going I'm to read an honors quote about you, and you respond with a quote about him. Okay? Okay. He said, in a time when a lot of instrumental music feels more like math than art, the Stickley Trio reminds us of the pure joy that can be created and shared through music. Now, you don't have to be nice. Wow. That's so nice, though. Right, but it'd be so hilarious if you said something dickish about him. <laughs> well, he did pay him good money for that quote. <laughs> money man. Um, I would say, you know, Dobro is all about simplicity. And he's just the man for it. <laughs> but Honors has taken that simplicity to a new level. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, nice. It's like, yeah. I never knew someone could do so much with one lick. That's very nice. My wife says the same thing about me. Anyway, so uh, I want to thank you for your time. This is Ron Turner and yeah. Steve Weiner. And uh, Joe, it's been just a pleasure to have you here, Joe. <laughs> I'm so around. sorry. <laughs> My eggs are so bad. scrambled. Joe Stickley. He's called, Love him. Great. <laughs> Listen, he's he's called uh, he's called um, uh, Stanton Moore, John Moore, and he's. I don't oh, know. I have oh, not. Nice. Don't, don't start with his bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Although I All do right. forget Lindsay's last name. What's Lindsay's last name? Pruitt. Oh, Pruitt. Oh, yeah. That's right. Okay. With an E. Yeah. Well, will you uh, will you close us out with us with take us out with a tune? And um, want to thank you one more time. Seriously, do, should we hold the mic to make it easier for you? Nah, this is this is good. Okay. I'm gonna take you out. I got here, my strap Rob. on now. <laughs> Thank you so much and have a great show great tour and we'll see you when you're playing the tabernacle in a year thanks so much guys this was a blast except for my stupidity your stupidity was a blast <laughs> mm-hmm.
Oh, Rob, I got to tell you, that was a enjoyable afternoon out in that sunshine uh, in front of the garden, although you did piss me off, and I'm sure I pissed you off on the... Yeah, you pissed me off because you were complaining about me being late when I was hanging posters for a live event, and then I show up, I hustle back, and you're not even ready to go anyways. Well, I did have... You know what, though? Classic, I won't have those problems. Stuff. I won't have those problems anymore because we've moved over to the Zoom H6. That's what I'm using to record right now. This is a handheld recorder with uh, multiple inputs. It's actually got four inputs. We can pop it up to six if we need to. Uh, it's fantastic, battery-operated, and uh, was just a delight to have at Electric Forest and Firefly. I kept it in my pocket, actually my backpack, and just popped it out. I was able to record music from bands. I was able to just jump into interviews anywhere, anywhere, at any time. Right, Rob? Yes, I'd like to get some of that Grizz live band recording that you made. Man, did I love that set. Oh, my gosh. There was a lot of, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I liked, of course, was, you know, stuff I already liked coming in. Fruition, Main Squeeze, Carl Denson. You knew that the Carl Denson acid jazz brand new heavy set was going to be awesome, and it was. But, you know, a lot of the idiom I enjoyed, too, particularly this Charles the First fella, young guy. Oh, you mean Rufus? Ring right or what was it, Rufus? That we were walking in the middle. Of, we're running, oh, running yeah. from one side of the forest to the other. I mean, you know, me, I've been to this festival every year, and and you think I would know my way around, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're over here, and we get there, and it's Rufus Rainwright, or what was his name, Rufus? Anyway, he was Rufus Dussol, and it was so good, so good. I'm like, wow, this is yeah. really good. And Rob's like, yeah, he's really up and coming. I'm like, well, he's, no, he's not. This guy's look at him, look, he's, a he's of, a headlining stage, right? And then we find out no, it's in the other stage. I had it wrong too. Um, Rufus Dussol really. An EDM, but also with some memorable um, Soul. lyrics and soulful Soul. qualities. Yeah. Uh, you walked away from that humming some of the some of the songs, definitely. Well, just to paint the picture, folks. But I can't believe. I mean, just real quick. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. No. Two three years ago, if you told me that I went to a festival and the highlight would be Grizz's live band. That was so good. I well, would never, I would never guess that, and that's this podcast because yeah, I, I, I developed an interest in Grizz, started learning his music, then I worked one yeah, of his that, shows that, here, that, was Rob. impressed, and then he does it with a live band. And yeah, it's so but kick-ass. it wasn't EDM; it was funk and soul. It was, it, I mean, right, but it had that EDM kind of tension and release sensibility. It did, and they brought to out it. some of the uh, hip hop uh, rappers and Definitely. whatnot, and it well done. Not like, not like cliche crap. No, but you had uh, Chimmy, uh, you know, used to play with Robert Walter, sax player. He play, he's, part, he's one of the Daptones. He's also got a new record coming out in a couple months, as is Robert right. Walter. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was a loaded band. But I wanted to paint the picture before we even get into all that. So, folks, I, as you know, run what's called the Work Exchange Team. It's a uh, fan as staffing. Are you sure they know that? What if, if they're they, first time listening? Okay, they? if you don't know that, I run what's called the Work Exchange Team. It's a fan staffing program. And at Electric Forest, we manage uh, over 200, actually, I think it was between the two events, over 400 work. Workers, uh, that that are fans and they work essentially in exchange for their ticket, right? You know, they get paid and and all that jazz, but it covers the cost of their ticket. Uh, and they work different departments from hospitality to uh, to the information booth and you know everything in between. But but so I was there and uh, Osiris um, went ahead and and brought Rob out down to the second weekend. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, RJ. And we were able to get a slew of interviews. Now, we've got a lot of like pop-up interviews. I mean, things like I talked to Conscious Alliance. I've talked to different uh, staff that produced the festival uh, from, you know, their, their media coordinator, you know, all over. Um, but Rob and I, we did a bunch of interviews, including uh, we got with, and this is all for the Osiris Network, with a, uh, Jeremy from Big G. We met a band called Foe, which was a yes. good, good band, PHO. Uh, definitely a really good band out of uh, Minneapolis, right, Rob? Yes, and I wanted. I also like this band called the Michigan Rattlers. We didn't get time. No, I want to yeah, chase them down. 
And 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 they did a Leonard Cohen fest cover at an EDM <laughs> festival. Go on, sorry. No, no, what, all right. That, that's not the only reason I liked him. That just struck me. And Electric Forest was surprising for Rob because he has. It was a great exposure for him to see the EDM in a way he you know really doesn't see unless he's working at the Roxy, um, and also to have the access and the uh, easeability. I mean, we set up in the artist compound. Uh, it, was, it was a really hot weekend, so we set up uh, right behind in the shade, right behind the uh, massage uh, station, and we interviewed Natalie Kresman. We interviewed um, Rob Mimi. from the Works, Mimi, Mimi from Fruition. I love Mimi. And um oh uh, Matt Butler oh Matt Butler we, although we interviewed him behind that stage what was it called the, the Dr- hangar well tell him about the hangar the hangar is actually tell him tell him about the hangar Rob and tell him tell him a little bit I'm gonna put my, put the mic down and let you talk a little bit about your experience at Electric Forest all right well the hangar is that 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 is where the the um the hidden area was where we ran into Brownie right. We went into. It's called a speakeasy. Yeah, we went in. It was like to, it looked like an auto shop, and then you had to like they they had. I mean, they're basically characters. It's kind of like a psychedelic Disney, where they a lot of the people working are essentially characters and an extension of the festival. So they're they have a sense of humor, they have acting abilities, and they make and they make it fun. So we had to like go through this process to get through this auto shop to get down into the speakeasy, and then who do we run into when we're there? Brownie and Mark Brownstein of the Disco Biscuits and Jeremy Sulkin of of Big Gigantic, and there were a bunch of other folks. Yeah, a bunch of industry were hiding in there. Yes, it definitely was an industry hideout kind of spot. And uh, we did have to pay for drinks there, Seth. But you man, had they to pay were for strong. Drinks. I paid for drinks. I think you you bought one there, and didn't I buy one at the at the poetry brothel? Nope. There, the there other was, was the poetry was no, brothel. No, there was no there was no drinks at the poetry brothel. We made a buddy at the poetry brothel. Oh yeah. So what was her name? She was the madame. We'll have to. Uh, we'll have Actually, to see her again. I have a recording of my first time and experience meeting her, uh, which I got to get approval from Electric Forest before I release that because right. I don't know if they want that out or not. Right. Right. She's very seductive with her words and with mm-hmm. her presence, but it's kind of a goof because it's about poetry. It's not about an actual brothel. You're not actually getting laid, but there, there's a lot of uh, parallels and metaphors of one to the other, and it's fun. It's really cool. And, and it's anything that glorifies poetry because, good God, poetry does not get enough love. And the, the, the hangar, so you know, there was the big uh, venue called the Carousel that was new there this year. Uh, a lot of bands performed those where we saw first were exposed to foe matt butler had his everyone orchestra there several times but um on your way in there was the uh travel agency and a lot of fans lined up in the travel agency right so that they would get uh, a passport and they would have to find these clues it was a scavenger hunt if they found the clues they were able to get access to go into like uh, some of these different experiences and there was one that we actually didn't get into we deferred whatever reason we just never put our energy into getting into it uh but there was one more uh, speakeasy that we didn't get into rob uh, and it's something i was starting to say in the intro from working uh shows you, sometimes you can get a bad influence of the edm crowd because they're kind of like deadheads now where they're they're, they're the crowd that kind of like deadheads were year, you know decades ago i mean they're, they're the crowd that these venues dread the most having even though they're loyal they they're um very forward and aggressive, and they go to a lot of shows, and that can be problematic because a lot of the stuff that enforcing kind of stuff that works on people who don't go to a lot of shows doesn't work, and it can be tedious. Something like the Electric Forest um, really brings out the good side of the EDM community, in my opinion. Well, the, I find that Electric Forest has like, so they call it Force Fam. You know, it's a very loving group of folks. They come back year after year. They're True, very but tight. You, but you can say that till your eyes bleed. It's really in action that 
not all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of these festivals say, oh, we're family, we're family, family. But with Electric Forest, you really get the sense. I didn't see any spun out, wasted kids being out of control. I didn't catch any EDM attitude. I saw a lot of, like I said, a lot of EDM kids checking out the Michigan Rattlers, checking out Fruition, checking out Main Squeeze, getting into it. Um, I think it's a nice bridge. And I think String Cheese and Madison House and SCI Fidelity, I guess, were they still when they started? It's not SCI Fidelity. That's nope. that's a uh, that's a record label. But you're thinking well, Madison. Well, that still exists because it all used to be called that. No, it's, it's Madison House. Well, the, Madison House really does deserve credit for what they've done here. Yeah. I think that there's more significance of this than just a fun festival and i think it, it um, bringing the edm and jam band crowds together which seems like they shouldn't be at odds with each other because one kind of grew out of the other well, what about but the, they often are what about your uh, opinion of the big shebang string cheese oh man that's the big saturday night shebang they call it the big shebang i mean drones and giant balloons and uh, a string of songs that i felt had a message well, it did, I, there's no question it did. Come on. It was Riders in a Storm, Red Rain. Um, no, Immigrant Song, Red Rain, and then... Like, uh, what's that going to be? A bride, bride, bride. I can see clearly now. I mean, it just seemed about these immigrants, you know, and about, you know, an unfortunate storm of a situation bringing a rain of tears, but that it's going to work out. The people are going to rise up. I think I was just reading online how th- this is a sort of protest that has entered the mainstream in a way that previous protests have not, even successful ones. That that is a very interesting thing, and and I'm not identifying blame. Remember, I'm a centrist. Um, some of this, to some extent, was going on with our previous administration. It does seem like it's going on more with this administration. But whatever the case may be, assigning blame is irrelevant. Let's just not take these kids away from their parents. And let's not treat them poorly like this. I mean, let's uh, let's send them all to Electric Forest. It's shameful, you know. The man's inhumanity to man can be just really depressing. But you got to try not to let it get you down. You got to too much. You should let it get you down a little, and you should speak up. But you shouldn't let it devastate your life. As horrifying as it is. I don't know. Why did I get preachy? I don't know. But on that note, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. It's been a, pl- a pleasure to spend this time with Rob. Uh, lots of changes going on. Speaking of changes, I won't bring them all up, but there's going to be a lot more time put into this uh, podcast here in the future. So uh, you can probably expect to start hearing a lot more. Well, what, what about my Chromio moment? Should we tell that? See, Seth has all access at this festival. So, in so, other words, Rob likes vodka soda with a splash of Red Bull. Oh, well, that's one thing. But the other thing is, once in a while, we get up on the stage. And for Chromio, for some reason, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was funny. like, well, let's watch the beginning of the setup there. And then I knew I knew eventually you'd want to go out because the, the light, you know, it's such a light thing. I think I wanted to gauge whether or not they were singing and playing live. Only once they were on stage did that come to... Because you didn't think about that well, until... yeah, I do. Once all we those bands, I do in the back of my head. But, but anyways... The, the point being, we walk over to the stage to where to the up to walk on stage. And I asked this woman, um, you know, like kind of because we had just kind of hustled in. I'm like, has Chromio started? And she's like, no. And I'm like, awesome. Yes. And I hear a chuckle behind me. And then I walk up and people are walking behind me. And there's a guy walking right behind me, like right on my back. Yeah, fancy shoes, <laughs> nice outfit. And Rob's like, oh, I must be, I must be a fan. This guy's all dressed up. He really <laughs> likes Gromeo. Um, so I get up and I move to the right. And this guy goes right straight up and has handed a guitar. <laughs> 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 I 
He's like, yeah, I've, I've seen you, but I don't remember what you look like. Sorry. But they were great. They have great energy and great stuff. And they were t- touching on their whole career for the festival crowd. And um, just a couple of the other, other acts. I have to admit, the bass nectar thing, I, I still, it's not a, it's not my big thing. I could tell he's talented. Uh, the, the light show is great, but... Um, and, well, it and brought Mar- you back to like the rave scene, though, where like, yeah, you know, the girl sits down on her boyfriend's lap while the other guy gets his light sticks all ready to put in her face. I hate when people do the thing with their light sticks and and, the, and just put their light in your face. It's like it's just annoying. And then they like blow like vape on each other. And I know it's just whatever. Hey, listen, that's your thing. Go for it. Enjoy it. I'm just, you know, not for me. I was I was and 18 a long time ago. Marshmallow was like a Saturday morning cartoon nightmare. I, I just didn't like that at all. I'm sorry. And then see my dog is my dog is. <laughs> they outside. don't hear your dog, so just keep going. Oh, good. On. Jesus. Um, Enough about your fucking dog, Rob. God. You know she's been to Tallahassee. Oh, oh, really? Nineteen ninety-seven. Did I promote her? <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, look our, our listeners have, have have if they've meet if if you've made it to here, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail dot at gmail dot com and uh, let us know. Let us know what you're thinking. Put us down. Put us up. Whatever you want, just let us know. Review us on iTunes. Um, Beyond the Pond, quick shout out. I love that. I really, really love that podcast. And they, the most recent one, they, they take the Walnut Creek Jam. Oh, yeah. There's a famous runaway yeah, yeah, gym yeah, yeah. that I hadn't listened to I actually, in forever. I listened to that, that episode, actually. Dude, and then they bring in like Mark McGuire, not the baseball player, the musician, who I've heard the name and I dove into a little. He's great. Spiritualized. Dave Soslovsky. Oh, we, we have a contest. Can we try that contest? Not this time, but we can do, you know, I told right. you, Just, I, I, like your, I like your idea, but what we'll do with it, Rob, is we'll actually do that in the, between episodes and that'll be a social media contest. All right. We have a snarky puppy contest coming for any of you who listen to that. I guess. Oh, I thought you were talking about the clip, the, the riff one. Never mind. Oh, that's another thing. That's for your, that's more, name that riff. That's more for your events. Oh, I th- see, I was going to do that about... by the way we used to do it, or I used to do it back in the day where I take... You want to win us promoting shows in Tallahassee 97? Then let's do this. You have permission. We're going to have a snarky puppy giveaway. Okay. Rob, that's me, mispronounces a word that I've been mispronouncing my entire life. Other than the musician's name. That doesn't count. No, that's a proper name. This is a, this is a word. Word. And I, I, I don't like the way it's pronounced. I've, I've been told how it's pronounced correctly. I don't agree with it. Nuclear. I agree with my pronunciation, but according to Webster's Dictionary, mine was wrong. If you email us that word... The first two people get a snarky puppy package. So can you say that again? Snarky puppy package. Snarky puppy package. That's what's that's a snarky <laughs> puppy groupie's favorite thing. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and tune in again. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, maybe may even be back sooner through the Osiris Podcast Network. And if you haven't been to Osiris Podcast Network and checked it out, Osiris O S I R I S Pod dot com. Check out all the other uh, podcasts. There's some really wonderful ones. And on their web or on their YouTube, you want to sign up for the newsletter. And on their YouTube page will be some of our interviews from Electric for all of our interviews except Mimi from Fruition. She's coming up. We have a joint interview with Big Something and Voodoo coming up. Who else do we have? We have we, other... we, if you listen to the beginning of the episode, we talked it all about it. No, there's one other one we nope. have in the can that I'm forgetting. Is it? All right, folks, thanks for listening.